Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. And then he goes on and he says, when I bring you back, you're going to be one nation. You're not going to be split up anymore. That did happen after the Babylonian captivity. But again, that's not the fulfillment of this because they weren't in all the nations and they got thrown out again. Okay, this is, this is a final return of the nation of Israel under the new covenant. And so um, he, he brings them back. One of the things that people have a question about, again, is whether or not there is going to be another return of the people of Israel. And so you have guys who are reform right now that teach that the nation of Israel that is there is not a fulfillment of these passages. It's not even a a precursor to a fulfillment of these passages because they believe that Israel has been basically abandoned by God because they did not recognize Jesus as Messiah. And that's what we have been talking about all the way up to this point. Israel's covenant with God is not based on Israel's performance. Israel's covenant with God is based on God's performance. That's why in chapter 36, God says, I'm not doing this because of you. I'm doing this because of my holy name. And so you remember in the Abrahamic covenant, God makes a covenant with Abraham based on his performance and not Abraham's performance or Abraham's descendants' performance. And again, that's why you got the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt in the first place because they immediately violated the blood covenant of the law And God said, I'm going to wipe them out and start over with Moses. And Moses said, that won't be glorifying to you, Lord. Egypt's going to mock you. And secondly, what about the Abrahamic covenant? And God said, okay, Abrahamic covenant, I'm good with that. And we're going to move on. And he allowed those people to become the nation once again. Well, it's going to be exactly the same kind of situation. Okay. And so the Bible specifically talks about the fact that when Israel is being gathered in this situation, it's the second time. The first time was after the Babylonian captivity. This is the second time. And this is the verse. Actually, we already talked about Ezekiel 36, 13 through 15, but this is a passage out of Isaiah 11, 11, and it says this, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who were left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. Islands of the sea are the coastlands. Those are Gentile areas. And so this again is talking about these people have been dispersed all over the world, 
like it says in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 28 through 30. And God brings them back from all over the world. And it's the second time. The first regathering was after Babylon. The second regathering has led up to the nation of Israel and it's gonna be finalized at the second coming of Christ when he specifically gathers all the Jewish people into the land of Israel. Do you guys know about Orthodox Jews in the land of Israel? like Hasidic Jews, all the guys with the curls. Many of them are living in the land of Israel and they don't recognize Israel as being a fulfillment of prophecy. They don't think that Israel has any right to exist. There's a, there, there, there's a real back and forth attitude with uh, Israeli Jews that are not ultra-Orthodox and the ultra-Orthodox because the ultra-Orthodox don't believe that um, the people of Israel should be in the land until Messiah comes and gathers them and brings them to the land. And what they're, what they're doing is talking about the passages that I've referenced as we've been going through here. And so this is the second regathering of the people of Israel, and we're already seeing that come to pass at this point. And again, that's what's being spoken about in Ezekiel chapter 37. Okay, chapter 38 begins basically God's lesson plan for the people of Israel. And what God is going to do is he's going to use warfare to show the people of Israel that he's God, that he's on their side, and that he is actually at work in the people and in the land, and he's fulfilling prophecies that we have in the Old Testament. And here's the reason why. It's not spelled out in the Old Testament here, but one of the things that took place after World War II is a general apostasy of Jews from following after God. And it was specifically because of the Holocaust. So the Jews believe that God abandoned them during the Holocaust and that because of that, they shouldn't believe in him, in, in, in him anymore. This is why all atheists are atheists. Have you ever known an atheist that wasn't mad? You ever known an atheist that wasn't just ticked off? And you know, it's like, uh, I'm looking for kids because we're at Christmas time. You know, I don't believe in Santa Claus and I'm not mad about it because Santa's not real, right? So an atheist, who says that they don't believe in God and is mad about it is lying. They're, it's not that they don't believe in God, they don't like him. That's what they're mad about. So something happened, their grandma died or they didn't get what they wanted for Christmas or you know, whatever, whatever the issue is. And I don't mean to you know, just minimize all that stuff because you know, the hurtful things happen to people, but they get mad at God and they go, therefore I shall be an atheist and that will teach you. And that's what happened to the Jewish nation pretty much as a whole. And so when you go over to Israel today, most of the Jews in Israel are atheists. They don't believe in God. And even some of the religious Jews, they kind of believe in God and they kind of go through the motions. But, the, but a lot of this stuff is, is, is kind of like a lot of families that go to liturgical churches like Catholic families and stuff like that. You got Catholics that mean it. And then you got other Catholics who are just doing it because this is what we've always been. And that's what's going on in Israel to, to this time. 
And what God is going to do is he's gonna turn these people around and he's going to bring them back into a real relationship with God where they recognize that he's actually the Lord, that he actually cares about them and that he actually takes care of them. And he's gonna use Ezekiel 38 and 39 to do specifically that. So let's get into that. I only have a few minutes. <laughs> we'll pick this up next week. It says, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia, that's Iran, Ethiopia, that's Ethiopia, most likely Somalia, Somaliland, uh, Southern Ethiopia, uh, places like that. Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Targarma, that's Turkey, from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. In the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate, 1900 years. They were brought out of the nations and now all of, the, all of them dwell securely, okay? And so let's go through and talk about some of this stuff. Number one, you got this whole thing with Gok. You guys, uh, you guys know that in Matthew, or excuse me, in the, book, in the book of Revelation in chapter 20, it talks about Gog and Magog. And it talks about them coming up against Jerusalem, the city of the king, and surrounding it. And that's at the end of the, of the millennial period. And that fire comes out from the Lord and destroys these armies that come against Jesus and all the saints that are there, okay? And so I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the short version here, but it talks about Gog and Magog having an uprising at the end of the thousand year reign of Jesus, okay? So Gog is not a man. He can't be a man. He's around for over a thousand years. This happens before the tribulation period of the, this whole thing. It's right at the beginning of this time. And so there's gonna be seven years launched off by these events. And then at the end of seven years, Jesus is gonna come back. There's gonna be a thousand year reign of Christ. And then you're gonna have something similar happen again, only this time Gog and Magog are coming down against Jesus at Jerusalem, which has all kinds of implications biblically and, and theologically, okay? And so Magog is the people. Gog is an individual, and Gog's gotta be an individual that can be around for at least 1,007 years. So what's that make Gog? He's an individual. What's that make Gog? Is a man gonna last 1,007 years? Anything around that has personhood that lasts for thousands of years. Angels, what else? Demons. Demons. And so I believe Gog is a demon. <clears throat> one, of the, one of the things that you have with events that are taking place during the last days 
if, is you have demonic powers that are, are at work. We know that when the Antichrist arises, he's going to be empowered by the dragon. It says in Revelation chapter 13, the dragon, Satan. And so he's demonically empowered by Satan himself. One of the things that you also see in the Old Testament, it's uh, specifically lined out in the book of Daniel, is the fact that you have these angelic presences in certain nations and that there are, um, there are spiritual battles that take place. So Daniel, for example, is praying and fasting for weeks and an angel had been sent to him, but he was held up for 21 days by the prince of Persia. Persia at that point was the major kingdom on the planet. And there is some angelic being that is holding up the angel that's supposed to come to Daniel. And the angel says, after I've done, I'm done talking with you, Daniel, I'm gonna return and fight against the prince of Persia. And Michael, the archangel, is going to be one who stands with me against him. And so you have this weird thing going on behind the scenes spiritually. And it has to do with nations and specifically influential nations. And so the most influential nation at the time that was written in, in the book of Daniel is Persia. And so you can imagine that Satan would be focusing on Persia because that's how he's gonna cause the most ruckus on the planet, okay? So we've got influential nations around today, right? And so what's the most influential nation today at this point? What's the only superpower on the planet? Yeah, it's the United States. That's why Washington, D.C. is such a pit. That's why it's so wicked. That's why you have so many evil people there. Because what Satan's going to do is he's going to concentrate on that city and the power that comes from that city and the influence that he can have from those people. There are also other nations that are listed in this passage. And one of them is Magog, which is Russia. Somebody rightly said that's Russia, which is Russia. And so Russia is going to be influenced by demonic forces in the last days. You're gonna have the same thing with the kings of the East. And so the Bible in the book of Revelation talks about the kings of the East, which is most likely China. And so you think that there's some spiritual influence going on in China? Iran is mentioned in this passage. Think there's, there's spiritual influence going on in Iran? Turkey is mentioned in this passage. Think there's spiritual influence going on in Turkey at this point. And so that's what we're talking about. And so again, I think that Gog of the land of Magog is speaking about the demonic or the demon that's behind the rulership of the land of Russia. And that could be very well, you know, the, this could very well be fulfilled by Putin. The guy's kind of a crazy guy and he wants to go around and conquer places, right? And that's what we've got in this passage right here. Okay, so it talks about the army of Gog and all these nations are under Magog in this passage and Gog specifically is the ruler of Magog. <clears throat> Gesenius um, is a Hebrew lexicon and the Rossi, the Mashi, Herodotus, Pliny, and Strabo, the Tiberini, Josephus, also um, called these guys the Scythians. The Scythians inhabited an area north of the Black Sea, 
from Ukraine to southern Siberia. And so when Russia is mentioned in this passage, it's mentioned with its family names. So the original peoples that went and settled Russia are guys Magog, Meshach, Tubal. These are guys that you find in the Bible. For example, in the, in the Table of Nations in Genesis chapter 10. And so their family names are mentioned because you can change the name of your country, but you can't change the name of your family. And it's like that all the way through this passage. We know who these people groups are. We know where, where they started out. We know where they end up for the most part. And so Magog is talking about Russia. It talks about their army. It talks about their weapons. Let's talk about the weapons for a second. He says in the passage, verse four, I'll turn you around, put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, okay? So you look at that and when you read that, it's like, okay, well, this can't be talking about modern warfare because you've got horses and you've got swords and you've got shields and all that kind of stuff. Can't be talking about modern warfare, warfare or can it? Okay, here's one thing that most people don't know. In World War II, horses were used. All, all you war, World War II buffs, you know that horses were used in World War II. One of the reasons that the Poles lost so quickly to the Germans is because the Germans were using mechanized warfare while the Poles were literally doing cavalry charges with horses. They got slaughtered. And so World War II included horse warfare. The Germans used horses too, and so did the Allies. In any case, you have that all the way up until the mid 20th century. But here's the thing about Hebrew. Hebrew is not like English and it's not like Greek. So in English, when we say horse, we mean horse, right? Unless you say something like iron horse and then you mean a train engine, right? So when we say horse, we mean horse. The word for horse in Hebrew is leapers. It's literally the word leapers. And it is translated in Jeremiah 8, 7 as a swift, talking about the bird, as a crane in Isaiah 38, 14. It's also translated as swallow. So it can be talking about a horse. It can talking about, be talking about birds, or it could be talking about something else, okay? When the Bible was translated and became popularized in English, it was basically the King James Version. There were the Geneva Bibles and, and, and some others before that point, Wycliffe's Bible translation and stuff. But basically the King James Version is the version that popular, popularized the Bible in English. That was written in the early 1600s. And so when you're translating Ezekiel chapter 38 in the early 1600s and you're talking about an army and you're talking about warfare in which people are riding into warfare in the early 1600s, what are you talking about? You're gonna be talking about horses. You're not gonna be talking about tanks. You're not gonna be talking about APCs. You're not gonna be talking about helicopters. You're not gonna be talking about anything like that. You're gonna be talking about horses. And that is not what the translation is. The translation is leapers. And so if we're talking about modern warfare, these would be troop carriers, 
that you could call in ancient Hebrew leapers. So what could that include? And so it might be talking about tanks. It might be talking about armored personnel carriers. It might be talking about planes. It might be talking about helicopters. It might be talking about all kinds of things if you want to translate it leaper. Then it says, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields. The term for shield is a term that means a protector or a defense. The term for buckler is a term that means a thorn or a hedge or hooks. And it's got, got a connotation to it of being cool or cold. And so basically when you're talking about shields and bucklers, you're talking about something that's used for defense. Well, in the early 1600s, when you're talking about shields, you're talking about shields. But if you're talking about modern warfare and you're talking about a protector or a defense, you could be talking about flak jackets or you can be talking about bulletproof vests. You can be talking about all kinds of things that would protect a soldier in the event of warfare, right? Then you have the word for sword. And the word for sword in Hebrew is not the word sword. It's weapon for laying waste. It's literally what it means, weapon for laying waste. And so in the early 1600s, a weapon for laying waste was a sword. But when you're talking about modern warfare, that can be a machine gun. It could be all kinds of things. It could be artillery. It could be all kinds of things. And so when you're reading that passage, it says the army comes with leapers and those who are riding them and defensive weaponry and weapons for laying waste is literally what it says there. And so I'm just letting you know that the language that's used there does not confine this to ancient warfare because again, it's Hebrew. When you go through and you look at the allies, Persia again is Iran, Ethiopia is South Egypt, the Sudan, Northern Ethiopia, Libya also possibly uh, contains Somaliland. Gomer is interesting because Gomer is one of, one of those groups of people that we don't know exactly who is being spoken about there. They used to be in northern, uh, in Turkey, north of the Black, or excuse me, in northern Turkey, near the Black Sea and north of the Black Sea also. They may have migrated to the Balkans. They may have uh, become a group of people that migrated to Crimea, which is south of Ukraine. The Crimean Peninsula was what was taken over by Russia under the Obama uh, administration. In any case, Gomer is some kind of Eastern European nation. That group of people moved into that area. It might even be talking about the Germans, you guys. And so it could be talking about them. And then it talks about Togarma from the far north. And Togarma, Togarma is Turkey. And again, I was talking about some of, the, some of the alignments that you have in the times that we're living in and some of the influences that have to be taken place behind the scenes with the leaders of these nations. So when I got saved in 1975, Persia or Iran was the top ally of Israel. And what took place was there was a revolution and in that revolution, the Shah of Iran was deposed and he ended up leaving. And you got the Iranian regime that we've got now that is a radical Muslim regime. And so in 1975, when this stuff is being taught, 
what people were saying was, what, what the guys that were teaching me were saying is, watch Turkey. You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.